Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. And guess what? Ryan, my other half, is back. Yes, yes. Hi. Did you miss me? Of course. I cried myself to sleep (laughs) well i have to thank um you know of course dr james simmons for always being on the ready and filling in and also congratulations i know he has a new show that's about to start airing on channel q so super exciting you'll hear more of him yes it's always fun to you know mix it up but i am happy i was just playing with you i'm happy to have you back I don't know what I'd do without you, Ryan. You're the yin to my yang. Oh, I wish I could say the same thing. <laughs> we can work towards that, you know. All right. Coming up on the show, uh, the Tom Cruise rant on the set of Mission Impossible, calling out the crew for breaking COVID-19 protocol. Was he in the right or wrong? Uh, we're going to be getting into that and d- debating it, that's for sure. Uh, plus, details on the latest Russian hack and how the U.S. government is dealing with it. That's coming up on the show and much more. But right now, let's dive into some what's trending this hour. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris acknowledged Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's acceptance of the election results, sharing this exclusively with Good Morning America's Robin Roberts. I think people are going to be very encouraged to hear what you said, that Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have spoken. He has acknowledged that he is the president-elect. How important do you think that is? I think it's critically important. I applaud Mitch McConnell for for talking to Joe Biden today. You know, it would have been better if it were earlier, but it happened. And that's what's most important. And so let's move forward. Let's move forward. And where we can find common purpose and common ground, let's do that. Let that be our priority. Now, she also talked about breaking gender norms and what she will be thinking about when she takes that oath of office. He is making history. He will be the first second gentleman of the United States of America. And he is very excited about it. And I will tell you, he has this sweatshirt that says girl dad, that he, it's almost in tatters, but he's very proud of being the father of a daughter. You know, he is, uh, and, and of course, proud to be a father of a son. But he's aware that, you know, we still have so much work to do to remind our children of every gender that they should not be confined by the limited perception that some might have of who they are and what they can be. And this is where we are, I think, advancing as a society with each one of these moments. Well, I love this interview and I love them both together. And it was really great to see. And definitely uh, she's taking the high road. That's for sure. She is taking the high road. 
But yes. she's also throwing a little shade because it should have happened. It's mm-hmm. a little late. Mm-hmm. Now, CNN is reporting that congressional leaders have finally indicated they're nearing a deal on a new rescue package that could pass both chambers within days. The price tag for a stimulus deal could be close to $900 billion. Okay, that's like $8 billion down from what the bipartisan uh, group proposed. The deal is expected to include a new round of stimulus checks at $600 per person, but no money for state and local aid, which was a priority for Democrats, and no lawsuit protections, and that's what Republicans wanted. The measure is also expected to include an additional $300 a week in jobless benefits, as well as up to $330 billion for small business loans and money for vaccine distribution. Now, uh, finally, uh, Joe Biden was called out for calling Pete Buttigieg's husband, Kristen. By the way, Jill and I have always enjoyed seeing Pete and Kristen. Uh, Chastin, I should say, together. As you can hear, he quickly made the fix, but we'll be talking more about Buttigieg's latest gig in the Biden administration and its importance next. In the meantime, let's get into some tea. What's the tea? All right, we got the tea report coming up. And guess what? Gwen Stefani almost missed her own proposal. Um, During her appearance on the Kelly Clarkson show this week, the 51-year-old revealed that she was nearly canceled. She nearly canceled her visit to Blake Shelton's uh, Oklahoma ranch, where he asked the big question. Here she is giving us all the deets. (laughs) And then anyway, so we got there and everybody was like, no, we got to get back. We're cooking like a hobo stew on the fire and we can't let it burn. And my son was like, no, I got to go to the bathroom. I don't want to go. And like, it was like all these like things happening. Oh. And and I walked in and my son was like sitting right by this like fireplace. And Blake basically like was getting down on his knees to do a fire. And he goes, hey, can you look in that cabinet over there and get me, get me a fire starter? So I opened the cabinet and there was like a ring in a box. And I was like, ah! What? Are you serious? So, uh, I mean, I related to this story because honestly, I feel like that's going to be me where I'm just like, oh, babes, I really don't want to get out of the bed. Like, can we just not do this? Can we just like do this another time? Like, just forget about it. And then I'm missing the whole like context clues of, oh, he's actually planning something special for me. <laughs> I can see that. I I feel like I, I would be like, okay, I'm there. You know, like I, I'm like, I always... You love an adventure. Yeah, I do love an adventure. And I I make the hints that I do, or not even hints. I pretty much say it. No, this is what I want to do and how I want to do it. Yeah, and she also revealed a sweet detail that I thought was a little old school, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Her fiance's pre-proposal um, was that she basically uh, Shelton sought permission from her dad. Are people still doing that? Do you want like your boyfriend yes, to do that if you get to are. that point? You know what? I kind of appreciate it. I do think like I, I am new school. I'm a feminist. I'm, I don't need to stand by these traditions, but I kind of like it. And I think my dad would appreciate it too. It's so sweet, I'm kind right? of dad for it. And I think it's really about it's individual. Like I'm, I'm not going to go against someone who doesn't like it. I think for me personally, I think it's cute. It's very sweet. As long as you feel like you're, I guess your parents do approve of it. Yeah. Or else if they don't, you're like, don't get a permission from my dad. Well, it's just like, I guess some traditions should just keep, uh, should just keep going. And that seems like a sweet one. But let us know your thoughts at LGT Show everywhere on social media. And of course, find out more of what she had to say at wearechannelq.com. Now coming up, Biden's historic move to appoint Pete Buttigieg as Transportation Secretary. The Victory Institute joins us to discuss that next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. President-elect Joe Biden has named Pete Buttigieg his transportation secretary. The role of transportation secretary is expected to play a central role in Biden's push for a bipartisan infrastructure package. And he added that he sees the Department of Transportation as the, quote, site of some of our most ambitious plans to build back better. And that he trusts Mayor Pete to lead this work with focus, decency, and a bold vision. Back with us from the Victory Institute, we've got Ruben Gonzalez, Executive Director. Thank you so much for joining us. It is so great to be back with you all, Ryan. And sure, it's, it's fantastic. One of my favorite shows to be on. Oh, oh tell us more. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> well, of course, everyone knows Pete Buttigieg, but they might not know what a transportation secretary does or why him for this. Can you explain what went into this decision, possibly? Yeah. I mean, before we get too deep into what a transportation secretary does, I don't want to move off of how significant this is for our community. Pete Buttigieg is the first uh, person to be nominated uh, to go in front of a Senate and be confirmed for a cabinet position. That's huge. Um, When Pete Buttigieg talked about what that meant for him and for our community, he talked about what it was like as a 17-year-old who followed politics probably more closely than most of us do to watch how President Clinton's nation of an openly gay ambassador was treated in the Senate, um, what that meant for him. And so we know that 17-year-olds who are watching Pete Buttigieg and talking about his husband as he's accepting this nomination, that that's means something for our community. That, that uh, you know, before we get into his qualifications or what he actually will do as transportation secretary, I don't want to miss that this is a big moment for our community. It's a big moment to celebrate, and it's going to ignite the imaginations of young people who want to see themselves serving in our government. And that's a really good thing. Yeah, it is. And I love everything that you said. And I think I'm very inspired by him. But mm-hmm. let's be honest. The, no one, I think no ambitious political kid such as him dreams of growing up to be the transportation secretary. I mean, no regular person can even name who the transportation secretary is right now. So why is this such a fit for him? And is, does he have enough experience to handle that position that Joe Biden has really put the spotlight on in this case, right? I think this is kind of a make it or break it moment for him. I think it is a make it or break it moment for him. I think we've seen a a really kind of meteoric rise for Pete Buttigieg over the last year. He has exceeded folks' expectations and sort of what he's done on the campaign trail and what he's been able to do in sort of galvanizing supporters for his presidential campaign. Um, And so I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a lot of expectations placed on Buttigieg and how he's going to perform in this role. You know, one of the things I think that qualifies him to be effective as the leader of transportation is that we're going to need a secretary of transportation that understands how to get things done. Infrastructure is going to be a huge part of this work, and we're going to want someone who knows how to talk to the other side. Um, Pete Buttigieg, Slayer Pete, uh, as he was known during the campaign, became effectively known for being able to talk on Fox News Mm -hmm. and be able to reasonable ideas to people on the other side who may not agree with us. Um, we're going to need that now more than ever with, with the country divided how it is. Having Mayor Pete, Buttig- Pete Buttigieg, now Secretary Pete, out there talking about reasonable ideas, about how we can lower emissions, how we can turn our transportation more green, how we can make it more effective. All those ideas that are reasonable to all of us are going to have to be sold on the other side as well. And I think 
Pete Buttigieg is uniquely qualified to be a messenger in that way. Yeah, definitely. You're hearing from Ruben Gonzalez, who's the executive director of the LGBTQ Victory Institute. We love having him on. Now, how strategic was this, though? Was it that they just wanted to find a position for Pete Buttigieg because they obviously wanted him for those reasons uh, you mentioned? And also, it's strategic for him because this kind of gives him the experience that he was missing in his run for president? Well, I'm inspired by President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris's administration because they're showing that they're willing to make history. You look at the uh, cabinet positions that have been named already, and they have named, you know, obviously the first woman vice president is humongous, um, but they are willing to make history and stand with our community. The other piece I want to note that is also exciting is the four other people that have already been named to the Biden-Harris administration, and these are not cabinet members, but these are uh, staff in the White House, have all been LGBTQ people of color. Yes. They get intersectionality in a way that maybe we haven't had a president kind of get intersectionality before, that they're picking, you know, a Black queer woman, a Latinx queer men, a Latinx woman to lead on this and really kind of be the, you know, the leaders in our community representing in the White House is really exciting. And I I think we should celebrate that as well. Yeah, I do too. I think what you're making some really great points and, um, but I'm, I'm still a pessimist at heart and I still feel like um, that they're just, there's this moment where I think Democrats specifically have a lot to prove as well, especially Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris in this administration, right? When you come into a space that's already completely just wrecked by previous administrations, and there's a lot of pressure on making sure you get everything right. So is this moment in time of like, obviously creating history, which is very important and doing things that are going to progress this nation, Uh, Should they be aware and making sure that it's just not all about that? Like they're actually making sure there's qualified people in these positions so nothing can come back and bite them in the butt. Yeah. One of the benefits of following the Trump administration, though, in some ways, is is there's been some pretty low bars set. (laughs) Yeah. Let's be honest. Right. And so I have full faith. (laughs) <laughs> Pete Buttigieg is going to outperform his predecessor. I do this. too. His ambition is, yeah. I think his ambition is He's going smart. to carry him. Um, Mayor Pete is a great announcement, but we want more. We want to see the first uh, transgender person ever confirmed by the Senate for a role in an administration. That's never happened before. We expect that it's going to happen in this administration and we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. So I think we're going to have a lot of things to celebrate as we march towards that pro-equality administration. Let us know about that exclusive, Ruben. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. That was Ruben Gonzalez, executive director of the LGBTQ Victory Institute. Now coming up on the show, the far-reaching implications of the Georgia Senate race for the LGBTQ plus community. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The two runoff elections in Georgia next month will not only determine control of the Senate, but will also have far-reaching implications for the future of federal non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus Americans. And joining us right now is Sydney Bauer, a transgender journalist based in Atlanta, Georgia. She covers sports, politics, and major events through the lens of identity and gender. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So Georgia has obviously been such a focus for the presidential race, but now with the Senate too. How does the future of LGBTQ plus protections intersect with what's happening there right now? Well, it really comes down to this race will determine who controls the U.S. Senate, uh, whether it be the Republicans or Democrats. And given that the two parties have pretty diametrically opposed viewpoints on federal protections for LGBTQ people, 
Um, it's pretty much as simple as that. So right now, the Republicans have 50 senators, and there's these two open seats. So if the Democrats manage to flip both these seats, they will have 50 senators as well, plus the tie-breaking vote in the vice president, Kamala Harris. So that means Chuck Schumer will actually become the Senate majority leader instead of Mitch McConnell, and he will control a broad agenda and determine what makes it to the Senate floor for hearings and votes, which is crucial for anything, because most federal LGBTQ protection laws, such as the Equality Act, have actually been around for many years. And Mitch McConnell just hasn't brought it to the Senate floor for debate. Yeah. So when we're talking about Georgia, I specifically go to Atlanta, which is full of queer, black and brown folks. And when we think about the term kind of like ally, is that like the bare minimum that, you know, we should be expecting from, you know, the Democrats at this point? You know, do we want something more than just a strong and outspoken ally as quoted in your piece? You know, that is definitely the bare minimum, especially because if you've seen the Democrats' national agenda, federal protection for LGBTQ people has been around. So there needs to be more. Um, I think it's really important that Reverend Warnock, who preaches at the same church as Martin Luther King Jr., has used his pulpit to bring attention to the disproportionate amount of violence against Black and Brown transgender people in the, in, the, in the United States. And this year alone, we've had at least 40 that have been confirmed murders of transgender people disproportionately who are Latinx, Afro-Latinx, uh, Black Americans, people, and other people of color. Again, we're talking to Sydney Bauer, a journalist based in Atlanta, Georgia, about the runoff elections and its implications on the LGBTQ plus community. Now, uh, Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff have both endorsed the Equality Act. What, what about their opponents, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue? Let's dive into all their backgrounds in terms of supporting the community? Well, neither have supported the Equality Act, though neither have come out and spoken against it, which is likely because, as I said earlier, it's just never made it to the Senate for a vote. David Perdue is on record very much against the Obergefell decision, which allowed federal protections for same-sex marriage. He wants to see that overturned. So that's pretty clearly anti-LGBT as it gets. And then Kelly Leffler has really spoken about the need for religious liberty laws, which would essentially allow anyone to undermine the Equality Act if it was passed by just claiming that LGBTQ people and their quote-unquote lifestyles violate their religious beliefs. She's also introduced legislation um, in the Senate that would bar transgender women from competing in high school sports that match their gender identity, um, which is a pretty much a wedge issue that the Republican Party tries to use, um, despite not having any scientific basis. And finally, she has used her um, Senate salary, which she's not keeping because of her massive, massive wealth, to donate to anti-LGBTQ causes, um, especially one called Covenant Care, which is an adoption agency here in Georgia that explicitly says you must be in a heterosexual Christian relationship to be eligible for 
adopting through them. That's a lot of stuff uh, that clearly shows where they stand, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't really think it's shocking, to be honest, um, because I think the Republican Party has really shown us who they are, you know, for a very long time at this point. Um, but do Osef and Warnock, are they going to kind of follow in uh, Joe Biden's, you know, footsteps when it comes in having kind of inclusivity surrounding them and, and them actually working with folks from the community to help them talk about and actually engage in what our community needs? Yeah, so I can't speak for each campaign because I don't know, you know, the full staff of each one. I obviously don't work with them. But um, in doing this piece, you know, you've seen John Ossoff has given interviews to LGBTQ publications in Atlanta. Um, he's, you know, clearly engaging directly with the community. The um, person I spoke with at the Warnock campaign is someone named Malik Brown, who actually is the LGBTQ affairs director in the city of Atlanta, which is one of the few cities now that has a director level position within city hall to manage um, working with the community. So, you know, the signs are there. Obviously, Atlanta is a very progressive LGBTQ friendly city, but you have to remember these are senators of Georgia, not just Atlanta. Um, they got to work with people all over the state. And I think they are keenly aware that, you know, just because Georgia was a quote unquote red state for a while, you know, not everyone who's LGBTQ lives in Atlanta and they need help as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That was Sydney Bauer, a transgender journalist based in Atlanta, Georgia. Follow her on Twitter at fem underscore thoughts. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now coming up on the show, why this nurse's battle with leukemia is making a lot of people angry. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. A nurse's story is going viral after her coworkers had to donate their paid time off in sick days to her so that she could battle leukemia. Now, this was reported by ABC7. Um, this woman, Lori Carafelli Fleming, is a nurse at Impact Healthcare. She started missing work to go through her le leukemia treatments. And her coworkers found out they donated their time off to her. Uh, she said, I'm unable to work, so having the ability to still get paid is a blessing. And they really, truly are a blessing for me. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The tweet that is now deleted from the ABC News affiliate said, oh, check out this heartwarming story. But that's when others were like, heartwarming? This is heartbreaking that we need to rely on our colleagues for, you know, basic support that we should be getting either from, you know, the government or our employer." Yeah, so this is capitalism at its best. Um, it reminds me of that thing that we talked about with Whole Foods, right? The CEO suggests that employees donate sick days to each other as a way to get through the coronavirus outbreak and how tone deaf something like that is. We're seeing that here. And I think, you know, our country likes to do these heartfelt moments and literally kind of glamorize or romanticize uh, putting some really sad music, some crying videos and some touching, you know, um, font on screen to get people to capture their hearts when really this is just a flaw in our system of being like, well, she should just be able to, you know, actually be able to take care of herself 
without having to rely on everyone else. Like everyone should be able to have that. And then if someone needs extra help, then of course we as a community help others. But I don't think it should just be based off of other people helping her. Yeah, it opened up a bigger conversation, right? And the tweets are just, I need to read some of them because you're like, yep. Yep. Uh, One person said, what the F is wrong with you psychopaths? This is not heartwarming. This is dystopian hell. Stop trying to normalize this horrible S word. Another person said, uh, soul crushing coworkers donate sick days, personal time off for nurses who can't while battling leukemia. And then he said, fixed it for you. And a lot of people were like, um, the fix was this heartwarming single payer healthcare and paid medical leave. How about that? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? When we look at why we don't have like universal health care and knowing like it feels like it's like that's a moral thing at this point. You're we're watching people die because they can't afford or they don't have the time to take off of work or all of these things. Like there's so much in place where these companies are not allowing folks to are giving them the ability to actually survive. And that is just sick. Well, yeah, and we're going to be talking to someone who did this whole study on food insecurity tomorrow. Uh, but the study really shows where we're at. And I think it's like across the board, just people not being in a place to support themselves in the basic ways, whether it be from food and housing to even something like this happens that is earth shattering, right? It, it changes your life in a moment and you're not prepared for that. No one is prepared for that, yeah. uh, let alone. And the system isn't also, they're not setting you up to even handle it. If it does happen, it, it comes back to understanding the nuances. It's not binary. It's not uh, cut and dry. And also understanding the accessibility of all of this. And that like, you're talking about being there for each other. That's understanding that people are not always in the same situation as you that's true compassion um, and seeing what you can do to support that and that could be even just supporting a new system okay coming up we've got details of when vp mike pence will get the covid19 vaccine and how he's doing it for public confidence that's next on what's trending this hour Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the future of driverless taxis and the viral audio clip of Tom Cruise yelling at his Mission Impossible 7 crew for breaking COVID-19 protocol. That and more coming up. But first, here's how to celebrate the holidays with us. Yeah, so Channel Q is giving you the most wonderful present this year. We're giving you Channel Q Presents Pop Goes Christmas for our holiday music special with music performance performances from pop diva and icon Ava Max, Why Don't We, and special guest appearances and interviews with the one and only Mariah Carey, Sam Smith, Miley Cyrus, Shawn Mendes, and so many more stars. Honestly, why am I not doing these interviews with Mariah Carey? I would love to be oh. talking to her. I'm going to hit someone up. Um, but no, if you want to watch, all you got to do is listen right here on your favorite Channel Q station. Simply download the Radio.com app or ask your smart speaker to play Channel Q. It is that easy. You tune in Sunday, December 20th at 
at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's literally the best thing. I mean, Pop Goes Christmas has been made possible by our friends at Atlantic Records. For all the details, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and be sure to follow us at WeAreChannelQ. All right, well, let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. We reported earlier about how Congress is getting closer to relief package. Here's Senator Bernie Sanders sharing more with CNN's Wolf Blitzer. You know, what we got now is not enough, but it is something. And I'm just simply happy to say that as we enter the holiday season, when so many people are worried about how they're going to pay their bills, whether they're going to get evicted, whether they're going to feed their kids, at least, at least among other things, there'll be $600 per adult at five or at six hundred dollars per child as well that's a start i want to do better all right well it seems like that's happening before the end of the year better late than never i mean it's still not enough people are literally struggling and aoc actually just took a poll on our insta not our instagram but on twitter asking Mm -hmm. folks is six hundred dollars enough and most people um there was a large percentage that said hell no it's not enough and so this I don't know. I don't know if we should be conti- like just settling for this. It just seems like there's no hope. It's like giving someone a cookie, as you mentioned, when they haven't eaten for months, thinking that's going to help them. <laughs> I, I don't think I said over. it exactly like that. No, you but- just talk about cookies all the time. So just <laughs> remind me of that. Now, uh, VP Mike Pence shared this week how he's getting the COVID-19 vaccine. I, I look forward in the days ahead uh, to, uh, to receiving the vaccine myself and do so without hesitation. But now, according to The Hill, uh, Pence will receive the vaccine for the coronavirus publicly on Friday. It's official as part of an effort by officials to build public confidence in the vaccine. Now, CNN reported today that President-elect Joe Biden plans to also get the vaccine publicly next week. Yeah, I need everyone to get it. I need Trump to get it. I need uh, Vice President Pence to get it. Um, Trump for sure needs to get this thing like publicly on television, getting his arm shot up with this stuff so people can see, especially his following, can see that, yeah, hey, this is like everyone needs to follow these rules and do this. It's just kind of a strategy thing at this point. But did y'all talk about yesterday how the Pfizer CEO said that um, he didn't want to take the vaccine yet because he doesn't want to cut in line, which there, yeah, we is a little weird. We Yesterday, we talked about how Chuck Schumer said that, and there are a lot of people that say, like, we don't want to use our privilege to cut in line. But then also the CEO saying that confidence of it where that, yeah, that gets weird. That's weird. You know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Y'all know this, but and I know y'all probably talked about it yesterday, but I was just like, oh, no, the CEO of this vaccine is saying, oh, I don't want to cut into cut the line. Like, girl, you could have gave us a better excuse than that. Awful. Yeah, you just be like, I'm going to do this, even though I don't want to cut the line. But because you guys might be skeptical of this, I'm going to take it myself. Right. Or let someone let an anti-vaxxer do the vaccine so they know it's definitely the right thing. I mean, you got to get people to trust you. (sighs) Yeah, it's uh, complicated. Hopefully we'll get there. I don't know. Now let's move on to this Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham. So the Justice Department should appoint a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden, the son, of course, of President-elect Joe Biden, for his business dealings in Ukraine and China. Uh, here's what he had to say to the Hill. If you believe a special counsel is needed to look at the Trump world regarding Russia, how can you say that there's no need for a special counsel regarding Hunter Biden? It's just not the allegation of tax evasion, which is being looked at, and he's presumed innocent. But his business dealings, uh, these emails about setting up an office 
and giving a key to the vice president, Joe Biden. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll see that happening as we uh, get into the new year. And it's sure to distract from other things that we need to focus on. But hey, yes, equal opportunity here. If uh, they want to investigate Trump, then Hunter Biden should be investigated, too. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, well, let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. And the streaming wars are officially over. HBO Max is finally coming to Roku. So if you got a Roku, get ready because the deal uh, finally gives the streaming service coverage on all major over-the-top platforms. Its absence on Roku was a big hole. Uh, Roku counted 46 million active user accounts as of the end of September. Terms of the deal, of course, were not disclosed, but both sides claimed that they were pleased with finally resolving their differences. So guess what? Roku, HBO Mm. Max is coming literally tomorrow. So if you don't have a subscription, get into it. Um, Because I'm telling you, HBO Max is actually one of my faves. And that's your team report. Now coming up, lawyer Jeffrey Tubin's Zoom mishap. Did he deserve to be fired or are we too quick to cancel people? We debate that and why the story has come back in the spotlight this week. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We spoke about this the other month. Jeffrey Tubin, he's a lawyer, longtime CNN commentator, writer for The New Yorker. He was caught on Zoom in what would be a nightmare for all of us, uh, masturbating, right? Or whipping out his thing. And he was later fired. Well, his thing? His thing. Are you like four? Yes. <laughs> Obviously, I am. It's Uh, private genitals. There's no tolerance for it. Obviously, it's inappropriate. He got fired. And now it's coming back. We thought it was over. You know, a lot of his celebrity friends and writers are coming out in his defense, specifically Malcolm Gladwell, who is a very big writer and expert. He basically had this to say, my only feeling, the only way I could explain it was that Condé Nast had taken an unexpected turn towards traditional Catholic teaching. So these statements and his thoughts about this whole situation, which came out earlier this week, continued to go viral and brought the story back to the forefront. And it does bring up an interesting discussion, a continued discussion. Uh, And even Tina Brown, uh, former Vanity Fair and New Yorker editor, says, I think 27 years of superb reporting and commitment to The New Yorker should have been weighed against an incident that horribly embarrassed the magazine, but mostly embarrassed himself. So does he deserve a second chance? Would he have deserved a second chance for one faux pas? No, I don't think he deserves a second chance. I think what's interesting is people are wrapping this up into a has cancel culture going too far. And I don't think that is the conversation here. If any normal, regular person would have done something like this, the immediate reaction would have been to that person being getting terminated. So I'm not really understanding why this person, Jeffrey Tubin, who does have a background, if you look and dive into a lot of the stuff that he has done, he has made several mistakes. And to be honest, let's really dive in on the humiliation of this, right? Like all he did was be, he was made fun of on Jimmy Fallon and OJ Simpson made fun of him. Um, he also was fired from one job and placed on leave at his own request from CNN. Um, that was pretty much the extent of this man's punishment beyond um, missing out on like a camo and HBO's The Undoing. Um, so here's the thing. I think 
this idea of trying to come to uh, to to save him of some sorts or to to wrap this up in a cancel culture conversation is just not it. It's not the same thing. And I I thought we learned not to listen to to these writers who are just writing BS because they know the guy and they just want to stick up for him. Like, didn't we learn that? So here's the thing. I then went deeper after and we were, we were talking about covering the story. And, and there's a story about how he had an affair with this younger chick and then didn't want, uh, you know, she got pregnant and then he tried to pay for her abortion and said he wasn't going to support the child. And then actually she brought him to court. So there's a lot of problematic things this guy has done. Has he been a sexual predator, though, in the past? Could we use this as a way to get revenge for all the crappy things he's done? What? I mean, I think that. Like, is this like a revenge moment of like saying like people got to take accountability and responsibility and like we're going to use this as an example to say, obviously, you can't do this. There's no tolerance for it. And Shira, um, we're he, not give you any sort of grace and space to learn, learn a lesson. Shira, the Times literally waste a lot of words describing his background to paint him as this complicated figure. Let's be honest here. His story is pretty simple. He's rich. He grew up the son of rich. Um, his powerful media parents are very rich. He went to expensive prep schools and then to Harvard before joining the other kind of people that surrounds himself, these cis hetero white guys who just get everything handed to them. What is this idea of talking about the, you know, is this just a revenge plot? He did something inappropriate. He literally scarred the people that had to see his genitalia. So How is that a revenge is, plot? So it, the question is, if this happened to anyone... You're not answering this, any of the questions. What, how is this revenge? Meaning, we take one thing and it kind of becomes a reason to say to someone, hey, you get to learn the harsh reality about life. We're going to use this example of... What would what you, you have rather happen well, to him? I think, and I wonder, like, does this person get a strike? Does it? And then he has to do, like, some sort of course around make obviously like harassment at work and you know therapy sessions that he gets cleared he from still has his job all that he doesn't though he lost his no job. he but he has his cnn job that is literally he asked to be on request on leave so he could come back at any point so he's still well off I just wonder at what point do we say, yeah, you've we've given you enough chances. You're a bad person uh, and you do things that are are not good for society. And this is the last uh, straw. This is the nail in the coffin versus wow. we say um, this was a sh crappy moment. This is a moment that you probably are not proud of. But we're going to give you uh, a chance to redeem yourself. I'm just wondering what's the balance between I the two. I had no clue we reached a point in 2020 where we were defending sexual predators. No, you see, but that, but is he a sexual predator? Yes. Uh, I have. Yes, he is. I mean, like, seriously, read up on this guy. The stories about him and the things that he has done his, in his past is these classic moments that we've seen and we talk about when it comes to people in power taking advantage of other folks and the okay, fact so that he did this yeah. in this in this space i'm sorry i don't have any empathy for him well that, that's the thing i think we're, we're in a new time where we we know what's a what you should be doing and not doing and um including on zoom just saying even if if your your camera is off just don't do it let us know what you think about this should we be giving more grace and space for situations like this at lgt show on social media is where you can find us now coming up more problematic news or is it tom cruise tour into 
to his Mission Impossible 7 crew for not following COVID-19 safety protocols. The crazy clip that everyone is sharing and listening to next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're Yikes. That was uh, Tom Cruise in a clip that everyone is sharing. He was expressing his frustration with crew members on the set of Mission Impossible 7 after he saw them breaking COVID-19 guidelines. And that audio was obtained by The Sun. Now, was he in the right? Is this wrong? Is this totally inappropriate? Uh, We're going to debate that right now because, um, you know, at first listen, Ryan, I was like, yeah, you're doing all this work. If one thing happens, your set gets shut down, you are employing thousands of people, and there's no tolerance for people possibly breaking those rules. And so you need to kind of set the precedent for that. And you're at the end of your rope. You're probably overtired. You haven't had a lot of sleep. I mean, so I could see how this could be like like the end of his rope. You know, like his fuse just went off. Yeah. um, I think two truths can kind of exist here where I think he was right in 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 the sense of what he was saying but i do believe that there is and something that i've personally learned that there is a way to deliver a message and i think that kind of tirade that he had was a a little abusive and i can only imagine those people those crew members who yes this is an industry all industries have taken a huge hit to COVID 19 and if someone isn't following the rules and there has to be proper protocol right where you go into that space uh someone's not following the rules you get them in like you tell a boss and that there's a, a chain of events right not Tom Cruise screaming in front of everyone embarrassing you when you're already risking your life to make some stupid Mission Impossible movie. It's just like, it feels a little bit much, but I think what he was saying in the severity of it is, it is true. And I wonder, we won't know what has happened to lead up to that, but like, yeah, I I just, I don't like how he did it. It's kind of gross. Yeah. Okay. So let's be clear. Yeah. Is this what like, quote unquote, the best leadership skills to just go off on your team? Uh, No, definitely not. Does it happen when you are just like, you know, totally at once again, I, I mentioned at the end of your rope where you just blow your lid. Yeah, it happens. And so like, it kind of connects to what we said. Well, like before this kind of, we were talking about Jeffrey Tubin. like things happen, moments happen that aren't necessarily the best representations of our, us. But in this case, I mean, we're talking about lives being lost and also tons of jobs being lost in this case. And, and are we going to have uh, a little bit of a, an opening for someone to like have a moment to freak out because this is a freak out moment. Well, Tom Cruise has been someone who has been talked about from either people he's worked with or obviously his Scientology background as someone who is a little um, off, right? And I think I know idea what you're talking about, right? Just because people have a moment of like of this of explosive or something happens, it doesn't make it right. And I don't think we should excuse that type of behavior. I, like I said last segment, I don't think we should excuse the Jeffrey Tubin behavior. And I think at the end of the day, 
if no one says something about how he he's speaking to these folks, then he's going to continue to do it. And of course, Tom Cruise is the leader on the set. He is the first on the call sheet. He is the most the hugest name. He's probably running that set. And to intimidate folks by screaming at them is just not the way to do it. He blows up on folks. And also, if you know about Scientology, Leah Remini, who has a series about it and how the inner workings of that system works, yelling and screaming at folks is how they dehumanize folks who are like coming up in those ranks of Scientology. So I'm not really sure that I would take the way that he's doing these things like as like, oh, it's just a moment of passion. He's not a hero in my, in my opinion. I can see that. Once again, I feel like I came up in entertainment where I had a foot in this like new generation of Hollywood and an old generation. And in the old generation, yeah, this would happen. And a lot of times it was abusive. And I think that it, it it shouldn't be tolerated in that aspect. I think when we're in a place where we're at, should he apologize for the for this? Possibly you should say, I didn't handle this properly. And yet this is serious. And I need you to see how serious this is. So I I kind of freaked out. That's yeah, kind of like a moment of a freak out. That's kind of like my mom telling me, well, this is the reason why you got your spanking. No, you didn't have to hit me to let give me a lesson. You don't have to scream at someone to give them a lesson, in my well, opinion. I question, I, and I'm not being sensitive over this either because I understand, because I also come from people that I've worked with in the past who have been super abusive, but the line, the cycle must stop at some point. All right. Well, once again, sound off. We just talked about two very controversial topics, and we always want to hear from you at LGT Show on social media. Coming up, would you use a driverless taxi service? More on the company that Amazon just acquired next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Instead of Ubering somewhere, Zooks wants to become the verb that means to get around. No driver necessary, though. So this is a driverless taxi service, okay? This is the future, supposedly, to the point where Amazon is acquiring and backing a lot of these companies. They are investing heavily in these driverless technologies. So is this the future? Do you feel comfortable with a driverless taxi service? Okay, I'm conflicted because I love the future. I love futuristic technology. I love where the possibility of it can go. But we've talked about it on the show where I think this looks really bad in the sense of I've watched shows where like there's a show on Amazon Prime called Upload and a guy, one of the main characters died because he was in one of these um, like kind of driverless cars and somebody hacked into the system and was able to control the car and killed him. So I'm just saying, you know, a lot of the stuff that we see in these shows can be a reflection of what we're actually living. And so there's a possibility that that could happen to a lot of people. I mean, we've even seen it with Teslas where, you know, people are doing that driverless, you know, part and people have died mm-hmm. because the car didn't react in the way it was supposed to. It's just, we're not there yet. We're not there. Yeah. Oh, we're definitely not there yet. And the shows we see are the reflections of our nightmares right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is possible the more research they do, the more investment and money they put into it, that they'll figure it out. But this is what makes this different. So it's not just like a driverless car. Okay. They're, they say they're reinventing personal transportation. Uh, so this is how it would work. Okay. Uh, they're removing the steering wheel and the usual driving pedals and seats. So guess what? Even if you're moving in the wrong direction, 
position, you won't have any choice to take over that steering wheel. Which is um, the worst because I would have at least kept that because what if something happens and somebody can hop right? in and like save the day? Instead of the typical car setup, they're saying it's a bi-directional vehicle, two benches facing each other. It can carry four passengers who can interact with the robo vehicle through a touchscreen and the smartphone app that riders use to order the vehicle. So it's uh, kind of like a it's an electric robo taxi. And then wait, listen to this, Ryan. You can control the music and climate for your seat. Fancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so and each passenger can have their own experience. You can do it as a group or mixed in with strangers. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think the the one thing that I do wonder if this starts to happen, I do think uh-huh. it's going to start becoming accessible for even everyone to have their own driver like driverless personal vehicle. So what does that look like in terms of what we have to change our complete system where, you know, there's everything is everyone's going the same speed, everyone stops at the stoplights at the same time. Like there's gonna have to be a like a whole entire reform of what we know now right because we're going to have to adapt to these new systems and is that a little bit much like are people going to want to give up their driving privileges like i like taking a drive sometimes what if i want to be behind the wheel oh totally yeah i mean it is nice it's control it's an escape but actually human error is a huge part I think of, and by the way, don't quote me on this, of a lot of accidents, right? And the things that happen at the wheel. And so I do believe when they get this figured out, we can solve a lot of those issues and roads and driving can be safer. But tech also is has its moments. I mean, Mercury Retrograde is all about tech just having, you know, go into complete crap. So what happens when we're so in Mercury Retrograde? Thing. Is everybody going to die at once? I, I, yeah, something, you know, we talked about Russian hacking and China hacking on the show. You know, could they hack into these vehicles? That Could there be a uh, like a terrorist event within these systems? I mean, this is some real stuff to wrap our heads around, which is why maybe there's like a balance of both, like the old school way to do it and the new school way. But also it changes how we experience driving. So guess what? Maybe you'll get more sleep. You might use that for a little nap. Maybe you're going to have a little bit more fun uh, with someone you're hanging out with, your partner in that car. Okay. Now, coming up next, the study that is raising concerns about whether six feet of social distance is enough. That is next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Now, coming up this hour, the U.S. government spent billions on a system for detecting hacks, but it was revealed this week that the Russians have still hacked us. What they could have discovered, that's next. But first, again, we have an amazing holiday special coming up this weekend. What's going on, Ryan? We're bringing you all of the Christmas cheer. Channel Q presents Pop Goes Christmas. And let me tell you, it is going to be an extravaganza. Tune in Sunday, December 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for our holiday music special with music performances from pop diva Ava Max. I mean, special guest appearances and interviews with Mariah Carey, Sam Smith, Miley Cyrus, BB Rexa, and so many more. Um, all you got to do is listen right here on your favorite channel, Q Station. Simply download the Radio.com app or ask your smart speaker to play Channel Q. It's that easy, and it was all made possible by our friends at Atlantic Records. So for all the details, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and be sure to follow us at WeAreChannelQ. That is Sunday. December 20th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So much 
fun. Okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. VP Mike Pence spoke at the White House's pro-life event today. And he boasted about defunding Planned Parenthood in 2017. In March of 2017, I had the honor of casting the tie-breaking vote in the United States Senate to allow every state in America to defund Planned Parenthood. And President Trump signed it into law. Yep, something uh, to be proud of. I mean, it's funny that they had a pro-life event when so many people have died. That's exciting, right? What pro-life are they? Because the White House, especially Mike Pence, who was in charge of the coronavirus task force, didn't do a damn thing. So, Yep, the irony. That is true. Uh, now, moving on to Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She spoke to The Intercept about whether it's time to replace Pelosi and Schumer. And as usual, it's controversial. Well, you know, I do think that we need new leadership in the Democratic Party. I think one of the things that I have struggled with, I think that a lot of people struggle with, is the internal dynamics of the House has made it such that there's very little option for succession. Yeah, it's obvious that there needs to be new leader leadership, but does she constantly need to put that in the fa- in the faces of those who've been around for a long time and who she's working with? And like, there's something to be said, and you've talked about this before, Ryan, about like doing the work that needs to get done to get there. It's not going to happen overnight for her. She's still green. She's still new. Yeah, but my actually, the, that's interesting that you bought what, what I've said in the past, because my views have changed. And I think- oh. Um, we've seen time and time again that a lot of these folks in charge aren't trying to push the needle forward to actually have progressive conversations. And so at this point, I'm all in for what AOC has to say. And I think she makes some really great points. Okay, well, she's actually doing something really cool that I just wanted to give a shout out to here as well. She is making news also for launching a free virtual homework helper program for her district. As families struggle with online learning, the one hour tutoring sessions per week are helping students to not fall behind. So go AOC for that. An early Yaz queen. It's definitely needed. Now, South Korean doctor Lee Ju Young did a study that is raising concerns that the widely accepted standards of six feet of social distance may not be far enough to keep, keep people safe. The study, which looked at airborne transmission of the virus, found that you could be indoors and within five minutes from 20 feet away still get the virus. So uh, that is on the LATimes.com. Check it out because it's really interesting how they discovered that because they are very stringent in South Korea about contact tracing. And they found out how this one person got it when no one else had it. It was really fascinating uh, to discover that in that article. So that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so, you know, we talked about the Tom Cruise situation last hour and we Mm -hmm. had some thoughts. But George Clooney, guess what, Sherry? He actually understands why Tom Cruise lashed out at crew members on the set of Mission Impossible 7 over COVID-19 guidelines while being neglected on set. Um, He was uh, basically doing an interview with Howard Stern. And he says that he doesn't think Cruz acted inappropriately. He says he didn't overreact because it is a problem. Uh, He said, I have a friend who's an AD on another TV show who just had the almost exact same thing happen with not quite as far out as a response. However, 
Clooney said he he had the same thing happen on his set, but he would have reacted a bit differently. He said, I wouldn't have done it that big. I wouldn't have, you know, pulled people out. You're in a position of power and it's tricky, right? You do have a responsibility for everybody else. And he's absolutely right about that. And you know, if the production goes down, a lot of people lose their jobs. People have to understand that and have to be responsible. It's just not my style to, you know, take everybody to task that way. And I completely agree with that sentiment of saying like, yeah, you can most definitely call out the responsibility and the accountability here, but there's a better way of doing it and handling it. And then Clooney's not the only one that agree with him. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg actually on The View this morning talked about agreeing with Cruz as well. But I'm just, maybe it's just a generational thing. Like, I'm not taking nobody yelling at me when I'm grown, just like Tom Cruise. Like, I'm sorry, it's not happening. Totally, but, but if you're doing the wrong thing and you're putting other people's lives at risk, well, you know, and you're in the middle of a super high stress situation it could happen that also doesn't make the other people that weren't the target of tom cruise's anger that doesn't make them feel comfortable either like now you've made everyone uncomfortable and no one feeling like it's a safe space when you should have just went through the hierarchy of one you know getting the covid person on that is actually like there to make sure the protocol is happening and then handling it but i don't know let me know what your thoughts are at lgt show we always like to keep the conversation going and of course find out more on weirdchannelq.com okay so coming up more on the billion dollar system to keep russian and china hacks away but they still found a loophole the washington post joins us with those details next Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The FBI and DHS are investigating breaches, which intelligence officials believe were carried out by the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. Now, Senator Richard Blumenthal yesterday tweeted that the Senate received a, quote, classified briefing on Russia's cyber attack that left him deeply alarmed, in fact, downright scared. So what actually happened? Well, technology reporter for The Washington Post, Craig Timberg, joins us now. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Uh, So the U.S. government supposedly has this multi-billion dollar malware and hacking detection system that was paid by taxpayer dollars, yay, and it's called Einstein. But according to this article that you wrote, it didn't stop Russian hacks from finding loopholes. So what actually went down here and why should we all care? Well, the Russians found a way to essentially build back doors into thousands upon thousands of big networks around the world, including the U.S. government, State Department, Treasury, Commerce. But there's a huge number of, of victims of this hack. And we don't know who all of them are yet, but we kind of know how it worked. And we sort of at this point, I'm getting more of a sense of what the failures were at the federal level. Well, what I didn't understand is one of the companies, uh, SolarWinds, and maybe you can break down how they're playing a part in this, but they added that they use Microsoft Office 365, which I'm like, my mom uses that. So why are these highly sophisticated companies using like something that everyday people are using? And is that something that we should be worried about here? Look, we all kind of use a lot of the same products projects all the time, like the Washington Post email is on Microsoft servers as well. So it's it's not really uncommon. The, the thing about SolarWinds, SolarWinds is a is a kind of tool that is used really by, by very large networks, uh, including actually the Washington Post, as it turns out. But it, basically every government agency, huge number of Fortune 500 companies use this tool basically to monitor the flow and, and, uh, and the way their networks work. So what the Russians did was super clever. You know how, how your, your phone or your laptop get updated every couple of weeks with new software? The Russians went in and, 
and basically infiltrated that process. So as SolarWinds set out their, their update patches, which make everyone's systems more secure and run better, they slipped in what they call a Trojan horse that, that gave the Russians a backdoor. So by hacking into one company, they gained access to thousands upon thousands of companies and government agencies. It's very, very shrewd. Wow. So what do you think that they were looking for from your reporting and how big of a security threat is this? We do that in reverse order. Um, <laughs> I don't, and I'm afraid I don't have like a super <laughs> compelling answer to either one of them. But it's, it's clear that it's serious. The, as, as Senator Blumenthal tweeted, people are deeply concerned. I, we caught wind of this on Sunday and it was apparent almost immediately that the kind of attack it was was very sophisticated. It was done in a super stealthy way. And we don't know what was taken, um, but you can make, make some guesses, right? The, the federal government does a lot of important things. Treasury Department, for example, manages sanctions against Russian oligarchs and other bad actors around the world. And NIH was, appears to have been penetrated. They were overseeing the production of vaccine using the COVID vaccine, using technology that's never been used before anywhere in the world. So, you know, the federal government, for all of its many flaws, does have its fingers in a huge number of interesting things. And so, you know, if you're if you're a cyber spy, it's, it's a great target. And it's just worth remembering that while this is alarming and and sophisticated, it's also what every government in the world is doing to every other government in the world all the time, including our government. Like we're hacking the Russians, they're hacking us. The Chinese are hacking the Russians, they're hacking us. It's just, it, it's kind of, there's a spy versus spy quality about this that is um, familiar. And I don't know if that makes it less alarming, but it is sort of less unusual than you might imagine. All right. Again, you're hearing from technology reporter for the Washington Post, Craig Timberg, about this latest uh, hack from the Russians that uh, we're trying to dive into right now. So I think my favorite part of stories like this is obviously looking in the comment section of the Washington Post, right? (laughs) And the conspiracy theories already are jumping out where people are saying, well, Trump's the administration's ties with Russia, there's a reason why there's a blind spot here. Is that something that people should be looking out for? Is that like a legitimate claim in the sense of we do know how Trump and Russia's relationship has kind of been during this time? That's a really good question. Um, And, uh, you know, you know, I'm in general, I think we need to be wary of conspiracy theories. um, Right. There's evidence to back them. I've spent a lot of my career writing about disinformation, particularly the last few years. But I actually think that the, there's a kernel of truth to that. I don't think that Donald Trump threw open the doors or enabled this or anything like that. But it is the case that Trump did not act as forcefully and as publicly against Russia after the big um, effort to meddle in the 26th presidential election than a lot of people would have liked to have happened. There was a sense that because whatever happened benefited him, that uh, that the president wasn't willing to kind of punch back in a really serious way. And so if you're thinking about how you protect against a cyber attack, there's only so much you can do, right? This is computer code. Everyone, hackers are always going to figure out ways in the door. But one thing you can do is scare people into not wanting to hack you because if it's discovered, there's real world consequences, there's new mm. sanctions. Maybe we turn off the lights in Moscow for a day or whatever, right? Um, and there's a sense that from a lot of corners that, Trump hasn't been aggressive enough in responding to Russian aggression when it's been detected. And so on that kind of like geopolitical level, I think the commenters would have had a point there. Well, Craig Timberg, tech reporter for The Washington Post, thanks so much for being here and for all your reporting on this subject. (laughs) You're very welcome. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. 
Now, of course, with the popularity of Netflix's Queen's Gambit, it's all about chess. I feel like I've been seeing a lot of these great, inspiring chess stories oh, out yes. there more than yes, ever yes, before. Yes. Uh, well, this one is really inspiring, these two. Salome Thomas L., who is known by his students as Thomas, uh, as Principal L. from the Thomas Edison Charter School in Wellington, Delaware, has spent more than 30 years teaching his students life lessons through the game of chess. And of course, students from uh, a lower socioeconomic backgrounds and neighborhoods. And also we're seeing this from this principal, Denise Spells, who is using chess to engage her students in Auburn, Gresham, Illinois. And her team and their national champions are filled with black girls. So they're continuing to break gender and race barriers for the sport. Here she is talking about the power of chess to bring students together. It's a, what you do in the school to build a community, community of family, community of love, a community of believers, students who believe that they can conquer the world if they set their minds to it. Now, I love this because both are communities where um, they have people in need. They don't get the the resources and tools that other communities get. And it really shows the power of this game to create leadership skills and really elevate their students. Yeah, I totally agree. And to be honest, I've always wanted to learn how to play chess, but it just seems like super complicated. So I just settled for checkers, but maybe one day I'll get a boyfriend and maybe he'll teach me how to play chess. Cute. You know, chess, checkers, tomato, tomato. Yeah, chess is a really uh, amazing game, very complicated and sophisticated. I'm jealous of anyone who can play it because I was never into it as well, although I'm intrigued. I'm open. Uh, and that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. And of course, you can nominate someone for our Yaz Queen of the Day. Slide into our DMs on social media at LGT Show. Now, we are back tomorrow, same time, live right here on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be talking more about food insecurity and how it's gone worse across the country during the pandemic. This one study, though, is revealing what we need to do to get out of it. Uh, plus, why prisoners should be prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine and how that would even work. That's on tomorrow's show. And as always, a reminder that you can catch up on everything we talk about in our interviews on our podcast. Just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, you better remember to slay. Stay tuned for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Bye, y'all. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, food insecurity has increased across the country during the pandemic. This one study is now revealing what we need to do to get out of it. Plus, why prisoners should be prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine. Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q. Or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.